This show is sponsored by Paris Green, a curated collection of incredible objects from around the world. Paris is always a good idea. 77 Oak Street, Ashland, Oregon. Visit them online at Facebook. Hi, Mark. Hey, Mom. I was just sleeping, and I just dreamt of you at the same time. You dreamt of me while you were sleeping when I just called you? Yeah. That's pretty weird. But I don't know what. I don't remember. I just went to sleep. You went to sleep just now, and then you dreamt of me, and then I woke you up? Yeah. I'm sorry. That's okay. So? Called to say hello, and and we can make it short and sweet. Yeah, because I'm really tired. I had a terrible night. How come? Not being able to sleep? Yeah. Okay. Go take a nap, and then uh, we'll talk later. I love you. Love you too, Mom. Sleep well. Sweet dreams. I am Citizen 44. everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here. Welcome to Citizen 44. This is show number 48. Got a pretty special show today. Bonafide celeb, celebrity. We've got from the infamous 80s band, The Motels, Martha Davis. I could not be any happier about this. And I'll tell you how it all happened. A few shows ago, I had my sister, Rachel Sunday, who's doing that project, The Power of a Shower in Los Angeles, getting outfitted buses that have showers so some of these people living on the street can get cleaned up and have a a new start to their day, maybe even their life. Anyway, in the beginning of that show, I wanted to do the song Mission of Mercy by the Motels. So I asked Rich Reese, I said, hey man, I wanna use this Motels song called Mission of Mercy. Do you know anybody over there at the motels people place that could grant that permission? And it turns out that in fact, Rich knew Martha's publicist, Fran, Franny, Fran, Franny Franster. Super nice lady, oh my God. And I said, well, what about getting Martha on the show? He said, we'll check into that. Anyway. He uh, contacted Fran, Franny, Francine, Fran, Franny, San Francine, about not only getting Mission of Mercy to kick off show number 46, I think it was, but to also potentially have Martha Davis, the famous, the other famous, one of the two most famous Martha Davises on the planet, you know? So anyway, Rich calls me back, says, hey, talk to Fran, who is Martha's publicist, about scheduling Martha on the show and you getting to use that song. So what? Today's show, we have Martha Davis from the motels. What a cool lady. Hi, Martha. Hi, Mark. I was just listening to and watching Jammin' in the Band, Lucky Stars. Oh, look at you. Dreams wake inside my head It's as though 
a very cool performance and venue for you to do that. It's a very tight little venue. It's some kind of trailer. It's small, but they make it work. It was good times. It sounded great. It sounded like a really produced performance. They have a nice board and stuff in there, and they know what they're doing. It really helps. I also oh. found another Martha Davis. Do you know about her? Of course. Of the course. great piano player, the great Martha Davis. Other than, I mean, aside from Martha Davis, there's the great Martha Davis. Well, there's the other great Martha Davis. <laughs> Martha Davis and spouse. Hell of a piano player, that woman. Well, she's got quite a, a history. And, and I was looking at other Marthas, because, you know, it's a old school name. There's not a lot of Marthas. And the only thing that really came to my mind were, of course, you... Martha Washington, fairly prestigious person. Martha Stewart, don't forget Martha Stewart. Also fairly prestigious person. Mm -hmm. uh, Martha Quinn from MTV back in the day when you were doing things like that. Yep, good old Martha. And there was a bunch of other Marthas, but I didn't know who any of them were. So I think you're kind of in a league of your own, even with just your name. I always thought, you know, okay, you're going to be a rock and roller with that name, Martha Emily Davis. Maybe a librarian, perhaps, <laughs> but not a rocker, no.
clearly you dispelled the myth of name equals rock because <laughs> Martha rocks. I remember so clearly, man, you were just busting through the 80s threshold with your first self-titled and it totally kicked my ass. I'm an 80s kid. I met my wife, Val, in the Sherman Oaks Galleria. In- oh my God. Mark, do you know how many blocks away from my house you were? Not many. I lived like four blocks away from the Sherman Oaks Galleria. Oh my God. In what year? From like, oh God, 79 through, I don't know, through forever, uh, 90 something. During that whole time, you were literally a stone's throw away. Yep. I was right there the whole time. What were you doing in Sherman Oaks? I was living in L.A., which I never wanted to do, so I never, ever purchased a house in Los Angeles. I just rented. My assumption of L.A. It was the place where everybody has to go to get out of. For the music business, I had to go to L.A. so I could get out of it. So not buying, is that just denial of you actually even being there? Kind of, well, I mean... I live on 72 acres up in Oregon. I'm not a concrete lass. I'm a yeah. dirt girl. Yeah. I know you got goats and chickens and ducks and llamas and things up there, right? Yeah. Alpacas. Yep. My pack of packas. Yeah. Well, I've seen your homemade videos. They're pretty funny of you making a new house for the ducks. Oh, yes. Which actually, and, and because I'm an honest person, that kind of ended in tragedy that I was completely unforeseen to me. What do you mean? Well, my duck, Wendell, my rescue duck, Wendell, is like, he's a great guy. He was facing the barrel of a gun, and uh, the wife of the guy that was like, ah, I'm pretty much going to have to shoot him, said, Martha will take him. So Wendell comes to live with me, and, you know, I've been trying to upgrade his existence, but he's a lone duck with five chickens, which is, you know, they adapt, but, you know, he could probably use another duck, which I'll get him someday, but... His whole thing arose from a, a, a penis problem. I don't know. There's something that ducks, like, they have too much sex, and then something happens, and then they can get really sick. And oh. So he thought he was going to have to shoot him because of his penis. I was just like, nah, let's just see. His penis doesn't seem to be bothering him, and he doesn't want to fuck a chicken, so I guess we're in good shape. But when I made the pond and I spent the whole day, you know, digging the hole and getting it ready, and then, you know, he loves it. You know, I close the chickens in every night, and, and Wendell, they all go in their little house. I close them in. Next day, I let them out. It's all groovy. And that night, I ended up on the phone doing a lot of uh, business, and it was late before I went out, and there was three chickens floating in the pond. How'd that happen? Well, it's weird, because they had a pond before, and they never, you know, drowned. Maybe this one's a little deeper, and they couldn't get out or something. I never even saw it coming. Chickens are not the brightest. So that evening, I actually lost one of my roosters, which you're not really supposed to have two roosters, and he was the one that always got his ass kicked. It was really sad. It was really sad. And Billy, my roommate, and I sat there for hours with hair dryers, blow-drying chickens. And oh, my God. The other two are fine, but there was an animal injured in the, in the making of that film. Oh, I'm so sorry. It was horrible. I have remedied the situation by giving them an out in the pond, so in case they do fall in. My theory is that the other rooster was making time with the other hen that was in the pond, and Bruce, who's the main rooster and an asshole, probably chased them, and everybody fell in, and then they just panicked, and I don't know. It was horrible. You, sir. Have no honor 
What'd you do with the bodies? I took him out far away from me to feed the coyotes. That's very nice. Yeah. I don't eat meat, so... Are you a vegan or a vegetarian? I'm sliding into veganism. You're sliding? I'm sliding. I do eat eggs because my chickens give me eggs. They don't sit on them, and I'm not going to waste them. So it's more the principle of actually knowing how the animals are treated. I love meat, and I can cook up a roast better than anyone you know and make a steak that will make you, yeah. I'm really good at meat. I love meat. But I can't abide by what's going on. Yeah. So I am, as you know, bowled over by uh, the last few beautiful days. Uh, It's really, you know, I mean, you know, you wrote it, you know, (laughs) it's really good. Honestly, it's the best thing you've done. It is the best motels record ever. No doubt. You've had some stuff going on and you can feel it, especially in that cut, man. That's just a killer. It rips your heart out and stomps it on the ground. And it's really beautiful in how it actually does that. I thank you. I really appreciate that. You know, it's like the fine ingredients you put in and in a good piece of cooking and, and all the ingredients, you know, a lot of them are rare if they're really, if they work. And some of the worst experiences of our life, thank God, are rare ones. But yeah. unfortunately, I've, I've suffered from some of those, you know. Um, and in fact, between the time we started that album and it, it finished it, um, my daughter died of a drug overdose. And that actually took the songs that had already been written. Like, Last Few Beautiful Days was written a while ago, but it totally changed it. You know what I mean? It's like you can't even, you can't sing it the same way. She got sucked into that old fucking Oxycontin thing, you know, where the pharmaceutical demons are um, very happy about their bottom line and don't care if it's, you know, written on graves of thousands and thousands of people. And the beauty of this drug is, like, once they get you strung out on the actual prescriptions, then you just go online and order it from the dark web and um, go down to the mailbox and pick it up. And I had brought her up here because I knew she was in trouble. And I thought, I'll put her on the farm. She'll be safe. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I'll keep her away from the evils. And um, she just, you know, she found ways. You find ways because that stuff is so, so so it's not even addicting it's mind altering and it rewrites the circuitry of your brain Deep. 
she wasn't a kid. She was a grown woman, but she would nod out with a cigarette and burn a little hole in the comforter. Thank God she didn't burn the whole place down or burn a hole in the pillowcase or whatever. And then I'd come in and she would have sewn little heart patches over the hole. So I sleep with a pillowcase that has a heart patch on it. And every morning I get up and I kiss the heart patch. Oh, no. 
and I think about her and miss her, and you don't get over it. It doesn't go away. That Willie Nelson song, it's not something you get over, it's something you go through, and yeah. And you're a mom, too. That's a whole nother level of connection that I can never know. It's a hard one. I mean, my other daughter doesn't talk to me. You know, I I had Maria when I was 15 years old. At that point, the only thing I knew to do was music because I had done music since, since I was eight, and that seemed to be the only thing that really kept pulling me, you know, and it kept me alive. You know, it was giving back to me the whole time I was putting into it. And then just about the same time, I had two young kids. It was like the, around the time I was in the first band, the Warfield Foxes, and um, my dad was telling me I'm crazy and I have to go back to school and I have two kids and it's, it's insane. You know what the odds are of you making it in the music business. You have to think about your children. And I was like, eh. And um, at that time, my mom committed suicide. And when we went to our house to start putting the stuff in order, I found this diary that I never even knew she kept. She didn't keep it very long. It was like, it was only a couple of years where she sort of journaled and it was early on in their marriage and they went very quickly from happy to unhappy. Basically, she wanted to be an artist. She wanted to be a writer. And she was a Phi Beta Kappa English major at Cal Berkeley and her love of literature. And she would read to us, my sister and I, when we were little, from the Tropic of Cancer, from James Joyce, from Virginia Woolf. You know, it didn't matter. It was the stuff she loved. And she really loved stream of consciousness writers, which is exactly how I write. And I think she taught me that, you know. Mm-hmm. But when I read this book and, and realized Mom wanted to be an artist, and instead she sort of buttoned it up and put on her little, you know, this was like early 60s, put on her little suit dress and went to the PPA meetings. And it was driving her crazy, and then she started drinking like crazy, and, you know, it all went to hell in a big old handbasket, and she ended up killing herself, and that happened right when I wanted to be a musician, I, I read that book, and I was just like, uh, I think I'm going to go for door number one, where I take a chance and follow my dream, rather than door number two, where I don't, and possibly end up resenting my children or killing myself. I mean, it was just like she gave me this gift to death, which was the courage to actually do what I wanted to do. There's your face again, my sweet dead end. Crawled back before, I'll crawl again Cross the rubble, a past regret I see no end to it Imposters like you and me We're impossibilities Imposters like you and me Inviting Impossibilities 
imposters like you and me, inviting all the world to see. That's what I always say. There is no fucking free lunch, but there's always dessert. So there you go. Because after a while, as we all know, if you don't use it, you lose it. And if you start sowing that stuff, that creative energy, pretty soon it's just entropy. You can't use it anymore, you know. And then I think that feeling has got to be worse. So by the time both my sister and I got pregnant at 15, we just wanted out because it was crazy time. Mom was a wreck. Dad had gone insane. He was trying to keep it straightened together and it was all falling apart so of course he was losing his shit you know it was a mess so we both got pregnant and left and as soon as we did he divorced her so then you know possibly she could have started you know being her free thinking wonderful creative creature but no not after it's been stowed that long and that to me is probably the saddest thing is that ache of regret i mean it's a terrible terrible feeling
That's the one thing I told my daughter and my son is don't have regret. Do what you want to do. This is it. We're not aware of any other experience other than this. And if you don't do it now, you may never get the opportunity. This is such a golden moment for everybody on this planet if you're not totally oppressed or fucked up. Yeah. And there's a lot of that that goes on. So like the ones that are lucky enough to be lucky enough to be... Oh, my God, this thing with the borders is driving me crazy. It's insane. Aren't these fathers and mothers making these decisions for these poor children? Oh, the thing is, is like it's been set up for years. You know, it's like all of a sudden we're going to crack down after years of people actually finding asylum and and coming here and and finding work. You know, I'm sure that there's been stories. Yeah, I went to America. I'm sending back money and love. So, of course, you're going to want to take your kids out of, I mean, it's like it's rocking a hard place, you know, out of the frying pan into the fire. 
the situations are so horrible and the violence is so bad and, you know, a lot of the situations are so despicable that, you know, I guess you're just going to, you know, this looks better than that. All of a sudden, oh yeah, that's going to be bad and you're going to get in trouble and it's illegal, but now we take away your kids. As I stand here, can you hear me when I speak? I was born unknown and shapeless, meant to live transparently. Do I have no form or function? Am I left to live outside? Dreaming of attentions that will always be denied. Look at me, look at me, look at me. If you look, you'll see Look at me, look at me, look at me If you touch, I'll feel Look at me, look at me, look at me If you look, I'll know Existing in the shadows Separated from the light from the distance that's held me all my life trapped by fear of falling failing in your eyes watch as you look past me never recognized look at me look at me look at me if you look you'll see look at me look at me look at me if you touch Look at me, look at me, look at me If you look, I'll know needs to qualify us as not being the super smart, thoughtful, emotionally responsible country, the leader of the free world. We're just a big piece of shit like anybody else, but there's a perception around us. We brag hard. We are very proud of ourselves. Yeah, but we're hypocrites. We're, we're total hypocrites. Stole this country from an aboriginal people that had it really together. We murdered them. We killed millions of bison because, well, that's what the Indians like, so let's just herd those 
You know, it was just like the stuff that we've done is ridiculously atrocious. The compassion that we speak of, and I think in our hearts, a lot of people believe it to be true of us. It's this altruistic picture of America, you know, where everybody's welcome. And in some ways that's happened, but it's not welcome like, my brother comes to my house, it's welcome like, okay, you're the new guy on the block, so we're going to kick the shit out of you for a while, and then if you can put up with it, then you can hang out. It's happened to the Italians, to the Irish, to everybody. It's like a fraternity where they have the rushing, and I grew up in Berkeley, so I grew up next to a fraternity. The horrible stuff they did to each of the new guys, it was atrocious. It freaked me out. But every year they would do it again, and I asked my dad, who was a frat guy, I said, why don't they just stop? It's horrible. People dying from eating raw liver and just like it's terrible so stuff. Much. And he's like, "Well, it's because it got done to you, so you're gonna do it to the next guy." He's like, stop the madness. Yeah. So you're either a criminal or a child. So you're either a sociopath that has no frontal lobe capacity, or you're a child, a three-year-old in a sandbox who's screaming about you know grabbing people's buckets and beating them over the head with them or something. We are babies with machine guns. Yeah. If you look at it scientifically, in terms of our evolution, that we're a young species. And I think that everything cycles in big circles and small circles. And so, you know, each life has a beginning and end. But evolutionary-wise, we've changed from apes to men to now a, a development of man, hopefully honing himself into a better man, you know, right. evolving into... I mean, I say that after shows sometimes. Let's evolve, you know, let's just keep evolving. It takes so much less energy to be kind. I cannot hold a grudge. I've tried. I have gone to bed angry at somebody. And I've had bad shit done to me. And people, you know, have been mean. And I've tried to, like, say, okay, when you wake up in the morning, you're going to be mad. You're still going to be mad. And I wake up in the morning, I can't be mad. Right. I can't. I always take my share of the responsibility. If there's a business dealing that goes south, you're there. You're involved in it. You are one of the players in this scenario, you know? If there is a responsibility to be taken, take it. Acknowledge the fact that the situation is bad, but that you yourself possibly have something to do with it. To learn to be responsible in life is to learn about life.
It's to grasp what it means to own yourself and your actions and your physical world, you know? I don't get it. I don't get the whole thing of throwing people under buses and backstabbing and all that stuff. I'm just like, what is that? It's all just a sign of emotional maturity. We are not taught to think critically. We're not taught to really understand this organism, how it works, how to be socially responsible. Our kids, are their heads are filled with mostly useless information that does not inspire them to want to even develop their humanness. So we have a lot of very emotionally immature human beings running around. Even smart people are not emotionally intelligent. So to not only do self-examination, but to correct a situation and be the hero and bring people back together. It's really a beautiful thing. The fact of the matter is, very rarely nowadays will people be getting back together because people don't even look at each other in the face anymore. They won't call each other on the phone. Yeah, What we're doing right shit. now, this thing that we're doing, this talk, we don't even know each other. We've never met each other, except we were very close to each other, but we didn't know it. The courage it takes, um, there's so many young people that can't do this. They can't pick up a phone and talk. When I was young, I was just scared of authority figures. I was scared to call a department store and find out how late they were open just because I was one of those shy, scared kids. But the fact of the matter is nowadays kids are not shy and they're not scared, but they won't talk on the phone. It's weird. You can't tell what somebody's saying in a text. You get no emotional inflection of anything. It's so weird.
think of humans as more like a fungus, like mushrooms. They'll grow for miles underground. And then the flowers, which are the mushrooms, will come up. But the fact of the matter is it's one big connected mess. We're all connected. We're all from the same damn stardust. We're I mean, standing we on the same, same fucking piece of real estate, Martha. Exactly. We're undeniably connected. Africa, baby. Yeah, man. Jeez. <laughs> this is my favorite. It's like the two things that stress us out the most in life are time and money. And we invented them both. This whole thing is an opinion. The entire yep. existence is an opinion. There is nothing. We didn't come with owner's manual. There was no yep. book that came with us. It was whatever we make up when we get here. So it's all bullshit. And you know what else? The cosmos could give a shit. And it's getting worse. I'm like, holy cow. I mean, we've always been peacocks ever since we were probably cave critters. I mean, it's like, you know, magpies and, and crows like a shiny object. We've always had that. We haven't really bad. It's gotten to the height of lunacy. I think we're at the pinnacle of what I would like to call just the absurdist age. Everything has reached a level of absurdity where we've really tipped the point of like, this isn't making sense anymore. It's not even making sense. Anoint the towers 
how did Crater Lake come to be? It was this massive, explosive, violent undertaking that turned into something magnificent. And mm-hmm. we seem to be on this interesting natural trajectory, which is maybe how everything evolves, is maybe there needs to be the humbling effect. So 100,000% with you on that. I have theories for everything. And one of my theories is that, first of all, everything that I've noticed, because I, I love nature and I always pay attention to it, and there is something that I've noticed, and I've tried to find things that don't follow this rule, but everything breathes. Everything works on the same thing of in and out, of big and small, of bad and good. Flowers bloom and then they die. We're born and then we die. The stars get big and then they shrink down. The the universe is expanding. I bet you anything, I won't be around, but it'll contract. Everything has this breathing. I think we're having a big old exhale of toxic substance. It's change, and change is always good because the opposite of change is stagnation. And you know what stagnation is? Death. Yeah. I was thinking about we always seek balance, 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 balance. And I was thinking about the pendulum going back and forth and back and forth. And then I thought, but if we reach perfect balance, the pendulum would stop. That's true. And that would not work out. (laughs) Well, Alan Watts does preach the middle way. We do tend to be polarized one way or another. We are, as one, a massive drug addict right now that are slowly dipping down to the, I hope, the very bottom of what we can even tolerate as beings. And our ego will not allow us to all die as a giant egoic society. We don't Uh want to die. That whole bullshit with North Korea, no one's blowing anybody up because nobody has the balls really to do it anyway. You know, one of the reasons that everything is so haywire right now, because the big dick, and usually it's the boys with the littler dicks, but those guys who have been running the show forever realize the fat old white guy ain't going to be running the show anymore. It's over. The fear factor involved with that is what's causing the reactionary behavior, I think. I wrote a tiny play. It was basically a child saying, Mommy, I don't feel good. I hurt and I'm angry and I want to chop people's heads off and I'm I'm just this and that. And the mother's like, I'd love to help you, but I can't help you. I really can't do anything about it. And the kid's like, no, but Mom, Mom, you can help. You can save me. You can do something. Like, no, I can't. I have been raped and ruined and fucked up and everything, and I cannot do anything for you. I'm sick. And obviously, it's it's Mother Earth. I think there's an overall feeling that the climate change that is happening, whether you believe it or not, subconsciously, all of us know, shit's gone south. Yeah. And it's going to go south. And the storms are crazy, and they're frightening. And we're scared. And we're all scared. And when human animals, like any other animals, get scared, you bite. That's well, you use your amygdala. You're not even using any other part know, of your brain other than brain fight, flight, or, or freeze. Yeah. But it's so immature, meaning we've got quite a bit of experience under our belt to have the contrast to see when it works for us when we're calm and reasonable and communicative and thoughtful. And when we're not, we get this other result, which is very drastic and polarizing and uh, the pendulum can't stop moving. And, yeah. you know, you talk about that, too. It's like, and do we control the speed of the pendulum? Because if it's about ebb and flow, and I do feel creatively, my son doesn't want to even go see Han Solo Star Wars because he heard from his friends how shitty it is. 
Well, who owns Star Wars now? Well, exactly. Well, like everything else, there's the in and out, there's the breathing mechanism that we're talking about. And in music especially, and I've noticed this, like the 60s was the most insane period of spontaneous brilliance. I mean, when you think about, besides just the best soul music in life, and the Beatles and the Who and Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin and um, Hugh Rex and David Bowie, and, you know, all of this was happening at the same time. And then I thought about it, and I thought, you know what happened then that was different? FM radio. Because we went from a two-minute, tight-ass format where it was like a two-minute, 30-second song. Every time you had this tight little playlist, this little shrunken little fucked-up thing, to people could make seven-minute songs. Yeah, yeah. And if there's one thing that art loves, it loves a new, bold vista. It gets so excited. And miraculously, from every aspect of rock and roll... Great music started happening because yeah. people were inspired yeah. because they had a new canvas and they had a new paintbrush. And the same thing happened in the 80s with videos and with the synthesizers that were now available for human consumption that weren't a billion dollars and insanely hard to work. Art is a living, organic thing. It loves to be nourished. It loves to be cared for. It loves new tools. I believe that everything is organic. I believe that there is no inanimate object. I right. believe that there's energies, and you know, without banging a crystal or something. I study science. I watch nature. And the more I read, I have one magazine I subscribe to. It's New Scientist it's out of England. And it's a weekly science magazine. It's awesome. And it's easy to read. And it keeps you up to date. The more I read science, the more I believe anything and everything is possible. In other words, when you start getting into quantum physics and time warp and, and multiple universes and stuff like that, it's all good, folks. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. Somewhere the Twin Towers are standing. So if I can relax, okay? <laughs> Part of our suffering, too, is we are living a pretty two-dimensional life. Pretty yeah. flat. And this is a multi-dimensional experience. I mean, we have yeah. not really even dove for medicinal purpose into the psychotropic world. There's a lot of untapped parts of this experience. And I think people feel sick too, because of not only just being oppressed, but like your mom, just not yeah. being able to live in this multi-dimensional experience and do what you want to do, do what you well, need cut, to do. They've cut the music, the art, even sports out of kids liking education. Basically, if you can learn your, your reading, writing, and, and learn some science so you can make some computer boards or something, you know, it's like, no, <laughs> that's not why we, and, and first of all, I hate that we think we're such a special animal. We're a good animal, but I mean, I mean, we're an interesting animal, but we're definitely, there's a lot of special animals. You know what we but, need? We need a natural predator to fucking put us in line as well. <laughs> <laughs> we may have one in the White House. No, I'm just Ah, but I'm bumped. <laughs> but I'm boom. There's so much. People just gloss over it. The attention spans have been shrunk into that of a nanosecond. Oh, and I want to backtrack because you're talking about psychedelic stuff. In my trying to help Maria, one of the things that I have come across that I believe will be the hope for the future of opiate addiction is psychedelics. They have found that that is a treatment that reopens the wiring on the brain that's been shut down. And so anybody that's suffering from an opioid problem and that needs or has a loved one that is, try to find somebody that's doing research in that and try to get them into a program because I guarantee you it's better than buying the giant pharma's suboxone, uh, methadone, 
and then they make you pay for it. They addict you, and then they make yeah. you pay for the damn shit. Well, they want you to be a lifetime customer. This is how they make money, is making people sick forever until they die. Yeah, and that's with all of their medications. I, I uh, Don't even get me started. Well, sorry. that's okay. My daughter came up to me once and said, Daddy, thank God for the FDA, right? And I said, Honey, I love your naivete, but... <laughs> It was you. the AMA that got us into this whole mess. Well, and even that whole thing, you know, that's a Rockefeller thing. I know. It was, it was total bullshit to make the doctors money. It didn't have anything to do with the health or I know. saving it. It actually was trying to wipe out the homeopaths so that the doctors could make more money. Well, if you listen to the show, I have a Dr. Rick Kirshner on the show who is a uh-huh. homeopath here. He talks about the whole health care versus sick care and did a special yeah. show for me on that. And there's plenty of people talking. And the doctors don't even know it. They're so entrenched in this thing. I know. They have no clue that they're licensed killers. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, and it's so stupid. This is a basic example. Arnica. You obviously know what Arnica is, right? Okay. I just heard about Arnica maybe five, ten years, maybe max at the most. It was a weird thing. I'd never heard of it before the best thing ever and if you get a bruise or if you have pain it, yeah. it's the greatest shit uh, I think it comes from sunflowers I'm not sure but I think it's in the sunflower family anyway so I've never heard of it right like this is like till 2000 or something and um, I have a, a book every house used to have these books these farms would have and it has recipes and it has doctoring you know it has like here's your treatment the, and it's from the 1890s yeah the first thing they talk about is Arnica. So Arnica existed, then it was obliterated by the drug administration because it actually worked and it didn't hurt you. I mean, it's just... Well, it's coming around. I feel it. Veganism is, is I think, a big trendsetter. The legalization of cannabis is a big trendsetter. There are yeah. things in motion. and But just like you said, this is a very young country. We're babies. Yep. I do have a belief that all humans have potential. I don't believe all humans want to fulfill that. There isn't a bunch of leaders, and that doesn't happen in nature either. I look at nature before I do anything, go, well, what does nature do? If you look, there's always leaders, whether it's a flock of birds, whether it's a herd of cows. There's always somebody that's got to go, okay, let's try it over here, you know. And with humans, we're no different. There was always one guy in the tribe that went, you know, I think if we go over here, there's fresh water. There's always going to be that guy, somebody that's going to have the courage, and then there's going to be the rest of the people that want to trust that guy and follow that guy or girl or whatever. But that's only because Uh, we're not taught how to think. We are gifted to be able to make any kind of decision we want. I have a question for you. Do you think if every person was allowed and granted their full potential to be given schooling and circumstance that was going to make them comfortable enough, do you think that the whole thing would just even out? Or do you think that there would still be people that would be in front, in you know, leading to organize? Isn't there always a sort of an organizational thing? I mean, like gravity, you know, there's something that keeps things in order. If you teach people how to govern themselves, you don't require a governing body. The whole idea is to empower the individual. I mean, I even yeah. came up with a thing called American credits. You deserve credit for being here. I think everybody should have all fundamental needs met. And if we empower people to learn how to think, 
to understand how we really operate, how super powerful we are, which I could even demonstrate for you on the phone now. Think about your right hand. When you feel something in your right hand, raise your left hand and let me know. Mm-hmm, yeah. Think about your left foot. When you feel something in your left foot, raise your right hand and let me know. Yeah. Okay, yeah. What did you just do effortlessly? Pretty miraculous stuff. You did. You just moved energy in your body at will with a singular thought. So just think yeah. about all the energy that we project out of us dangerously, irresponsibly, ignorantly, without knowing mm-hmm. how powerful we are. And if you started teaching people how incredibly powerful they are and how to be responsible for that power, if I train you, if I spent the time and the resources that we spend on the military industrial complex and I shift all those funds and energy into creating a super high quality human being, eventually the entire gene pool would be clean and we would be producing high quality human beings but you have to start with a core group and Uh i forgive you for everything you did yesterday going backwards but everything every thought every word every action you have going forward you are now responsible for and accountable for and i'm going to provide you with the appropriate training to eliminate as much of your future suffering as possible, and you will get to explore the world, the universe, in any way you want, and we'll support you because now you're doing what you love, and when you love what you do, people love what you do, and you start sharing. We need to appreciate each other. Everyone in the lifeboat has something to offer, everybody. And the whole Plato thing was not to have a leader, You have a panel of experts. Those senators, they don't know anything except being a politician. They have no business in those jobs at all. They're completely unqualified to run a country. I want a panel of experts in transportation, environmental studies, energy, in everything you can imagine, a group of people that, number one, as Plato said, do not want the job, but they're so qualified to do it, and they love all human beings enough that they're willing to do the job. That's the group I want to trust. And they don't make the decisions. They only suggest through their love of us and wanting the best for themselves as well. And that's a true democracy because now we're getting good information. We're also taught well so we know if the information is qualified or not. And then we can all agree, yes or no, on whether to move forward like you talk about the animals. The 51th percentile of the deer look to the right or the left to decide which watering hole to go to. At least the animals are cooperating on many levels, showing us how to do this, watching these flights of birds that are so nice. It's incredible. And we are the same thing, except we can make much deeper, more profound choices that even include these animals to give them a better existence and start communicating with them to find out even more about them. But we're so two-dimensional right now because we don't know how to think. We don't know how to feel. We don't know how. So I love everybody. I can't be mad at anybody because if you don't know, you don't know. Yeah, I love where you're going with this. I'm seeing the beautiful egalitarian utopia happening. Here's the other thing, that we do go through these periods where, I mean, history for sure repeats itself. It's crazy. I was reading this book called Hellfire Nation, this one area stunned me, and it was like the end of the 1800s when all of a sudden abortion became a huge issue. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? And like, no, abortion was legal, and then it became a political football again, and it 
started this whole thing where it became illegal again. And I was like, I had no idea it was legal before. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I'm sorry. You know, it's all about the fetus. No, it's just a political maneuver. It is. I mean, this thing with closing Planned Parenthood, to this, it's all political. And when I read that, I was just like, holy crap. It's startling to me. And we forget. Every 20 years, we get a fresh crop of newbies. And every newbie, I was one, you were one, we think we own the world, we rule the world, we don't want to know about anything that happened before. We're not supposed to want to, because we're going to change things. We're going to do things our way. And so every 20 years, there's a new crop that is literally there to forget or to erase what was there before. Yeah. And if you give the children, like you were saying, if you can is the education that actually fulfills a mind and a body and a soul and teaches the things that are so important, like compassion and empathy and the natural world. I learned so much from just observing, you know, just just like, just watch, just listen. They want distraction because they're all fearful. Because I've had cancer a few times. Every single time I get it, there's one reason. I'm lost control of my life. One of the biggest things that terrify people is loss of control. Total control, as you might say. Here's another one of my theories. I think that we're still very superstitious creatures. My theory is that we get so scared of the 100-year mark, just superstitious, you know, like, oh my God, it's going from you know, 1999 to 2000. Well, not only was it superstition in that case, I mean, I think it probably happened in 1899 to 1900, but in 1999 to 2000, not only do we have the normal suspicion of every 100 years, it was a millennium. And not only that, we were told Y2K was happening, we're all going to die. Right. And then 9-11 happened after that. We've right. been in a constant state of not fear, but terror. Stevie Wonder song, Superstition. We believe yeah. in things that we don't understand, and we suffer. David Hume said, the truth is unpopular. We would much rather subscribe to insane stories that we will literally kill over than the brother and sister that we have right in front of our face. What do you think that is about the human psyche, that it's obvious it's true. We're all guilty of it. We are all looky-loos. We all do it. I mean, it's like it's a natural DNA thing with us. We're all looking at misfortunes of other people, like the news, if it doesn't bleed, it doesn't lead. The sensationalism has gotten just so crazy. I mean, there's a cruelty in us that only chimpanzees have even come close to. No other actual creature on the planet. And chimpanzees are our closest relatives, so that makes sense. But there is a cruelty to us. I mean, I don't know if that's a thing that's written in us that is going to continue or if it's going to be able to be evolved out of, you know what I mean? But we are different. We're different in that way. There's a section of us or a part of each of us that likes pain and suffering for others. If people just lived within the laws of the universe, what is avoidable and what is unavoidable? If we just knew more about ourselves, I think we would really just have an easier time, honestly. About if anything. You know what drives me crazy? You know when you're building a house and you have the inspector come in? In my book, what they should do is encourage you to work on your house and then be there to help teach you. If you're going to put in the 220 service, you need the blah, 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 so that people know how their house is made. People used to build their own houses all the time. Yeah. 
There used to be kits you could buy from Sears. It's like we don't know anything about anything. If we're here in a hundred years still, we'll be very different, of course. There's no doubt. Yeah. If we make it another hundred years, we will have passed through some kind of other paradigm and there will be something of redeeming value on the other side just based on experience. We yeah. are, we're gaining experience. This is my hopefulness. I'm not a optimist because I have no faith in the pieces of shit that we are, but I'm not a <laughs> pessimist either because I know that we have infinite potential. So I have labeled myself like Kurt Vonnegut. I am the ultimate hopefulist. I, the dumb fuck that I am, do know that we can do this way better. And if I yeah. know this, and I'm not more special than anybody else, once more people know that they can and actually do do this, everybody automatically should just be theoretically happier that they know something and that they can operate cleaner. Because knowledge of things and just your confidence and knowledge of something gives you control, gives you a feeling of security that can come from no other place. That's right. And the thing is, is we have been told that, no, we shouldn't do that. Thank God my career didn't keep going and that it stalled out. I thank God every day for that. Because in that point, when the motels were successful and the videos were hot and I was cute and all that was going on, the only thing they needed me to do was get out there and sing. So don't worry, we'll take care of paying your bills. And don't worry, we'll do this. Oh, you want some more wine or you want some blow? Here, you literally put in a bubble. If you do that to people, pretty soon you have created an unrealistic human. <laughs> I am not in this game for fame. That's my least favorite part of this. Self-promotion, I hate it. The fact that you have to do the social media that you have to do these days is insane. That's why I have my beautiful Franny, who is like my best friend, Selma and Louise, you know? I'm trying to slowly but surely weed out shitheads in my life. For a while, I think it was my rule to have shitheads in my life. I do like crazy people. I mean, there's not a problem with that. But yesterday, I had the most beautiful wedding here at my farm. The most beautiful with two of my dear, dear friends, Jacob Balcom, who is a musician, and Alicia Justice. Go look at Red Star Art, Alicia Justice, J-U-S-T-U-S. Okay. Her art is amazing. She's done some stuff for me. She did the cover for the um, Red Frog for the kids' album that was out for a few minutes, which will probably get re-released. But incredible artist, wonderful friends. We had the most beautiful wedding here, and there was nothing but love. And you realize the capacity in humans to be kind and to be generous and to be loving. And I have to say, I was a girl alive in the 60s. And when the summer of love happened, when there was free love, and for a fleeting second, we had a moment where the ego went away. And the reason it was free love and everybody was fucking everybody was not because they were sex crazed. It was because they were bringing pleasure to somebody else. And nobody was jealous of anybody else. And for a second, we kind of got it. And then it all went away. <laughs> Take off your shoes and go to the thrift store and buy something goofy. And it was very fanciful and very lovely, kind. Go online and look up the Valley of the Omo. How do you spell that? O-M-O. They're a tribe in Africa. Sadly, because, you know, I hate to even put it out there because I don't want more people finding them, but... They've already been found. It's like I found them online, so right. it's kind of the party's over. But there's an Aboriginal group of people that live, I think it's a little canyon, and they have everything they need. 
They have some cattle. They have the rivers. They don't need anything. So do you know what they do? They just make art all day on each other. They are the most gorgeous people on the planet. I mean, when you see these images, you'll just freak out. Because this is what people do when they're just left with enough stuff, with a loving community, and with Aboriginal goals. Aboriginal goals are what we should all have. It's just like, okay, when we get up, we're going to get nourishment, and then we're going to just be beautiful. Each person is like a separate piece of art. They just sit around and art all day. And I'm sure there's, you know, there's occasional trouble and storms and this and that and the other thing, but the other one is the gods must be crazy. That was the classic example of how you take a society that was working fine and then throw in the one instrument of terror. Once we teach people to take care of themselves and not rely on any kind of system other than an Mm -hmm. emergency, you're going to find that people are going to live more in their life. When's the last time between human beings, not as states or cities or countries, when's the last time, if ever, when have we ever had an agreement just between people? Never. When has there been any kind of a, what do you want? I mean, ask everybody. A homeless guy on the street should be able to tell you what he wants. Everybody should be able to tell you what they want. And everybody should have what they want because what we fundamentally want to be happy is almost nothing. We need very little to be happy. This filling of this hole with shit and anger is only an outcry because we don't have the simplest of things. Have you ever seen an animator called Steve Cutts? C-U-T-T-S? No. Who's that? Okay. Here's another thing. I'm giving you homework now. Cool. You have to go online. You have to look up Steve Cutts animation and watch his happiness film. Is that The Rats? The Rats, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. I said that all over Facebook. Are you kidding me? Isn't that the best thing ever? It is genius with him picking up the big bottle of pills yep. in the end and falling yep. over. Yep. He is so brilliant. I love his work. I mean, his work is just, uh The Moby one? Did you watch the, the Moby one? No, I didn't see that. Okay, he did Moby's new video a while back, I think last year, maybe or maybe this year. But, oh my God, it's another one. Every single one, he captures everything we've talked about. We've been hoodwinked of what's happened. And we bought the bill of goods that was, seems like it kind of kicked into high gear in the 50s, you know, when it's get that big Cadillac and get that promotion and your boss is going to la, 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 la. You know, that driving, that kind of like, I'm the best on the block and where's the best, I'm better than you think. And I'm sure there's always been a little, you know, but my farm's better than your farm, whatever. But it started getting fed to us and we started eating it up. You know, those people that die and come back to life, there was this guy I heard and he was dead for a long time and came back and he talks about his experience, whether this is brain trickery or whatever. But he talks about like he was taken on this trip into the future and he saw the future. And in three and four hundred years, it was paradise. It was beautiful. It was amazing. He said, don't worry about anything. It's going to be beautiful. I read the book Island by Huxley. And every educator should have to read that so we know how to work with children. I also read while on LSD about two weeks ago, Huxley's The Doors of Perception, which, of course, that's where Jim Morrison got his idea for the band The Doors. And Uh to be tripping balls while actually reading a book while he was tripping balls on mescaline was a pretty intense experience. And I do think that this whole concept of exploration of psychotropics is going to be a thing that knocks out mental illness. I was thinking of, you know, ISIS or Al-Qaeda or something like that. Just like to dose them with acid. 
what would happen? I think it's kind of like Alice in Wonderland, drink me, eat me. These are the yeah. things that are going to give us an entirely new perception of our experience that we can never be unchanged from. They say if you do mushrooms once, it softens your heart. One time, it brings out the empathy and compassion in your soul. We're not leveraging the real medicine that's been left here since the beginning of time. Like I said, nature gave us everything we need from the ayahuasca to the opium poppy. You know, she gave us everything. There's probably stuff we haven't even found that we're probably destroying already. It's absolutely there for us. Okay, here's a quick story. When I became a teenage bride, I also became an Air Force wife. So I went from Berkeley, California in 1966 to Tampa, Florida as an Air Force wife. So here I was, 15 years old, with my first baby at a house in Tampa, Florida, 1966. When I left Berkeley, acid was just hitting. Everybody was dropping. It was like going off. It was crazy time. And I got to Florida, and, you know, Berkeley's one of the most liberal places in the country. And I got to Florida, and I started having nightmares about the Klan. I mean, I was so freaked out, you know. Wow. <laughs> we were in a little little house. We had no money. There was no radio. There was no television. There was no telephone. There was nothing. So... When the baby would go down for a nap, I would sit and I was convinced that acid was working, but acid was only a catalyst to open something in your mind that was already there. And because I was bored off my ass, when the baby was asleep, the house was so tiny, I'd already cleaned it and done everything. There was nothing to do, so I would basically meditate, but I would try to achieve acid because I was sure that it was something that the brain could do, acid just helped. Yeah. You know, it was manipulating something. So I would sit and I would stare at a photo or a painting on the wall. You know, I'd have some like crazy print on the wall and I would try to move it. Or I'd look at a cut on my hand and try to heal it or something. You know, I'd just like deep concentration trying to do it. And I would do that every day, you know, when the baby's down for a nap because I had nothing else to do. And one day I'm doing this, la da da da, and all of a sudden everything fucking gets weird. And I start seeing basically the molecular action of everything. I'm looking at the table. and It's like I'm watching the molecules course through it like blood or something. Everything is alive. Everything. I'm like, whoa, shit, uh-oh. And I got scared. And so I closed my eyes. And every time I closed my eyes, there was this giant door, like an old medieval door. It was arched. And it had a big round pull on it, you know, one of those big old doors. And I knew in my mind, I said, I could go in that door, but I was terrified of it, terrified. So I opened my eyes again, and everything was alive. And I closed my eyes, and I see the door. I opened my eyes, and everything was alive. It was weird, weird, weird. I finally dispelled the whole thing by just going on and turning the water on in all the faucets. And that's how I just came out of it. Huh. But it was deep. It was weird. But it gets weirder because 30 years later or something like that, I went to see the shrink in L.A. I called him Chakra Rooter. He kind of combined a lot of Eastern and different stuff. And one of his things that he did was a breathing, sort of almost rebirthing thing. So the first visit I go, and, and because he's kind of a woo-woo guy, I tell him my story about the, everything coming to life and thinking he'd enjoy that story. <laughs> Yeah, we talk about it, and then next week I come back, and I basically forgotten I even told the story, and 
we talk about a bunch of stuff, whatever. And then he says, I want you to lie down on the couch and just start this breathing thing. This way. <laughs> and once you start this breathing pattern, it's really weird. It kind of shuts down your conscious mind and just segues you to the subconscious. So I'm sitting there and he's like, and he says, go to the door. This is 30 years ago or whatever. All of a sudden, that sucker pops up in my brain. The same door. I'm just seeing it. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm like, you fucker, what are you doing? <laughs> and he goes, go to the door. <laughs> I go to the door. Open the door. I open the door. says, go inside. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> and I go inside. And it was paradise. I was afraid to go through it. And I went through it this time. And it was paradise. It was like I was in the Garden of Eden. I was naked. I was lying in the most verdant, beautiful green, lush. I felt love. It was so beautiful. And I cry every time I recount the story. I have tears right now because it was unbelievable. And this thing that terrified me. That's technology. What he showed yeah. you, that's real technology. That's the fundamental technology that we have not embraced. We've actually gone too far into this digital world before having human responsible technology, which I think is part of the disconnect. We're not, I think you're right, yeah. we're not mature enough to have the tools that we have. Even Einstein yeah. said something to the effect of the dagger in the hands of a madman is a dangerous tool, but in the yeah. hands of somebody who's mature and knows what to do with it. And yeah. until we put that educational thing first, so we know more about us and have our personal technology dialed in, we're going to keep running into this problem. We need to start with us first, always first. Yeah. Well, technology and artificial intelligence and all that, once that genie was out of the bottle, once that computer builds the next computer, builds the next computer, every time you're learning quantum stuff, and we are learning amazing things about DNA. And I love medicine. I love science. I hate the modern medical world. But finally, computers are actually allowing us to do personal medicine. Because no two of us are alike. You cannot give somebody Zoloft and the next guy Zoloft and the next guy Zoloft when every brain is fucking different. You just described why the book Island by Aldous Huxley, that was his final literary contribution to the world and maybe his most important. Both of us are very lucky to be here right now. I think this could be one of the biggest transition. This, this is like the magnetic pole shifting. I really feel that we're on that brink, you know, and it's just like us fucking humans because this is what we do. We go right up to the edge. We're like right there. And then we go, uh, maybe we should think about building a bridge. You know, it's like we can't see. I don't know why. There's not the forethought to look down the road and go, uh, perhaps. We don't teach people how to think critically. That's the bottom line. You're Thank right. You can sum it up that way. It's pretty True. simple. Prevention is the cure. I've done that with health because for a long time I was too broke to help because I had managers stealing from me. And so I was too broke to have any insurance because I couldn't afford it. And strangely enough, every time I went to the doctor, they would come up with some crazy shit that I have, like like life-threatening thing. And I'm like, you know, uh, some of this is bullshit. So I back away from the doctor's. You know what happens when you back away from the doctors? You start paying attention to your body. That's right. And you start listening to it, and you start looking at it, and you start going, oh, that's weird. Well, what are we going to do about it? And then you start figuring out how to handle it. One of the worst things in the world for your body is fear and stress 
what do you get when you go to the doctor? I think that looks maybe cancerous. I'm like, ah! If you didn't have cancer when he said that, you will afterwards. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm 67. Yeah, I'd like to lose some LBs, you know, damn it. But I live on a farm. I work hard. I work out when I can. I eat right. That's the other thing. It is the other bitch. Anything you try to do that's going to better you or the planet is twice as expensive, at least, or three times. And here's my other thing. From the wedding, like, there was a wonderful builder, like a master builder of the groom's father. And actually, both the bride and groom fathers are builders. They're wonderful people. But I, I said, you know what? There is no reason a single soul should be living above ground. The above ground should be for nature. We should be living underground. We would never pay for heating or electricity because we could have a solar panel to run things. The Earth stays at constant temperature. Do you know that during the Great Extinction, you know, when the meteor hit and the dinosaurs died and blah, 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 the animals that made it were living underground. They weren't that far underground, maybe four feet underground. And they survived when everything else got knocked out. I'm even thinking, because I worry about fires up here because I'm up here in the, in the timberland and, and I want to get some sea containers, stick them in the side of my hill. And if you had an oxygen supply, you could actually just let the fire roll over you and just hang out. And when it and actually would be quite intense and beautiful. You know, it's like, why are we living above ground? I go to Texas and Arizona. I'm like, why are you people living above ground? It doesn't it's, make any sense. Well, it's ridiculous. We have hurricanes and tornadoes and typhoons and all this stuff. We keep getting wiped out and we keep moving back to the same place because we're Einstein's theory of insanity doing the same shit over and over again, thinking something's going to change. Like I said, we are living in the age of absurdity. We've reached the pendulum that swung all the way over to the uh, 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 absurd section. I think bottom line, somehow we all know it. We all talk about it. Everybody talks about it. We're all sitting here like a bunch of old biddies, you know, making a quilt and like, do you know about Jacques Fresco? No. Look that dude up. He will blow your fucking mind. Jacques? Jacques? Jacques Fresco. Jacques. Okay. He was our modern day Leonardo da Vinci. Every child yeah. should know about this man. Nobody knows about him. Just like nobody knew about Edgar Casey, a man who cured thousands of people without knowing anything about medicine. Do you know about Edgar Casey? I, I haven't read any of his stuff, no. On his deathbed, he had thousands of letters coming to him every day asking for his help. So there's been people here who have been put here to show us something, to show us the way, but we disregard, we omit people. We're not paying attention. Devil's advocate again. It's like a message being scrambled. There's so much input. Most of it 100% nonsense, but I mean, there's so much fake news, the this, the that. People are confused. You know, obviously what you're saying about training them to have control and knowing what's going on and critical thinking is all going to be, you know, that's awesome. If you could give it in a pill, you know, where it could instantly transform you. Yeah, that's called mushrooms. Yes. That's the thing. If, True. if you want to take somebody out of their experience forever and make them changed forever, you fucking yeah. dose them. Yeah. No, it's true. That's the way to do it. But I'm just saying... Or God. do what your guy did. So we have the technology. I had never taken a psychotropic. I had never touched any acid before that first experience happened to me. And I didn't take any... Maybe by the time that I had seen him, because I did finally take acid when I was like 28 or something. But I was completely clean 
virginal territory when I had the first experience. That was just solely brought on by my mind. Basically, what happens is like that big cycle, the in and out, and everything is also circular as far as I can see. It, like we see squares in, in, I mean, I'm looking at some square tables right now, but we've gone through so many phases already. I think that in the beginning that there was probably a very woman-oriented one. I mean, I think that the female was the center in the beginning. And then the guys came along and decided they wanted to take over and didn't want the women running things. It's like one step forward, two steps back, you know, kind of thing. We do evolve. We've gotten better. There was the Crusades. I mean, the Crusades were insane. That's a good indicator that we can change. And again, if we don't teach people how to fucking think, that we will keep going backwards. And speaking of backwards, here's an experiment I did with my daughter. I said, I want you to pretend that you're walking down the street. While you're walking down the street, you turn your head around to try and look back and continue to move forward. What's going to happen to you? Well, you're going to get get hurt is what's going to happen. We are too busy looking backwards. It might be important if it didn't get fucking altered all the time. Well, that's it. We can't rely on the the information, though. Yeah. So then why teach it if it's not reliable information? Let's make make new information that we all know is the truth because we're living it now. Yeah. This is where our internet friend actually pans out for us because the kids are now going, wait a minute, let me Google search this. And then they get on. And then because people are actually human people are actually providing information for Wikipedia. It's not always right, but there's truths out there, and the kids are learning to ferret them out. They're also learning to ferret out tremendous music, like your kids. They're not buying the bullshit. There's that silver lining. There's that dessert I always talk about with the no-free lunch, you know? These are some of my pet peeves. People are afraid of pain. This is the thing. We can't feel pain. This is like the whole pain killer thing. Pain, pain, Pain's pain. beautiful. Pain is fucking... There, for a very good reason, is basically to tell you what the fuck's going on with your body, and you're supposed to feel it and pay attention to it and not numb it. Feel it and deal it. Okay, so feel some pain. Don't be fucking wusses. Okay, so that's one of my first ones. Everything is a little too politically correct right now. Yeah, it's out of control. We have a lot of work, but you know what? The thing I like most in life is work. That's the gift. The work is the gift. That's how I deal with things. When I'm upset, I go, I clean, I build, you know, I refinish, I do something where the physical activity will change my mental state and the end product will be the icing on the cake. You know, it's like if you take frustration, you know, it's why people run when they're depressed. And when you're done, you've released yourself because you've controlled the situation. Yeah, we'll get there. A 45-minute walk in the park amongst the trees every day yep. by yourself is yep. the best therapy in the world. In Japan, they have a thing. I, I think they call it like green therapy or something because they, they realize that forests actually nurture your psyche. Well, duh. Hello. <laughs> I, I read in my science magazine that green light is good for migraine headaches, probably because the mother of all mothers, which is the great forest, which there are very few of left, that is a green light. That's a beautiful green light. It signals health. It's time for this little girl to go feed her goats. You know I'm coming to see you, right? <laughs> I hope so. This is the first family vacation. I've been divorced for like 12 years. I called my ex-wife. I said, let's take the kids to Santa Cruz. Uh, the motels, Martha's playing a free concert on the boardwalk. It'll be super fun. We'll hang at the beach as a family for the weekend. 
And, awesome. Uh, and uh, so I'm super stoked to come see you. I've never seen you guys live before. And uh, Oh, the band is so great. I have the best guys in the world. We've been together 15 years now. This band is the most awesome. This is the best motels ever. The best guys in the world. I love them all so much. We have such a family. You're going to enjoy it. Well, I'm stoked to be able to give you a hug in person and say hello. And, uh And enjoy some of my favorite music ever made in the history of music. Oh, you sweetheart. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you, even though I thought, oh, my God, a podcast. How can I talk to anybody? I just had, like, 30 people here. I was talking all day yesterday, but this has been lovely. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Martha. I really appreciate you spending the time with me. No problem at all. I will see you soon, sir. See you in a few days. Okie doke. Okay, Take bye. Care. You too.
Well, that's the show. Man, oh, Manischewitz. I don't know what I've done to deserve this, but wow, I am just the luckiest guy. Uh, let me just take a breath here. Don't take anything too seriously. Take care of your body. I want to thank Martha Davis for being Martha Davis. That is some real authentic shit right there, man. And I, I appreciated uh, someone who's uh, been creating so long, <laughs> really. And uh, is still just kicking ass, man. I saw her with my fam over at the Santa Cruz Boardwalk. This fantastic, well-sounding, lighted stage in the middle of the beach in Santa Cruz. What a venue. I mean, really, I thought the Brit Festival was a cool venue, and it is, by the way. How come the motels are not at Brit? Where's their booking people? Look, put somebody on the phone. Let me talk to the president of music right now. All right, uh, I want to thank uh, Franny, Franny Marseille. I think she's French. How come Franny hasn't been to Paris Green? Franny, come to Ashland. Okay, thanks so much for listening to the show. Another one done with so much fun. Number 49 coming up, Tom Beam here in town. The only man I would want as mayor of Ashland, Tom Beam, cool cat. Next, numero cinquenta. That's gonna be Adrian Zamed, another 80s superstar celebrity personality kicking it with me. Okay, Citizen 44 with Mark Ahrensberg is a listener-supported presentation. Please visit ahrensberg.com to donate. Thanks so much. Have a great rest of your week. Take care. Bye-bye. This show is sponsored by Paris Green, a curated collection of incredible objects from around the world. Paris is always a good idea. 77 Oak Street, Ashland, Oregon. Visit them online at Facebook. If whatever you're doing is not working, there's only one way you can change that, and that's to change what you do, 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 change what you do. I am Citizen 44. Happy 71st birthday, Richard Lewis. Lewis.